In the summer of 2017, my family loaded up our two cars and five-bedroom house and moved to Los Angeles. We were scared of what was happening to the country, sure, but I was also boiling under the surface. By December of 2018, I had completely unraveled. All I wanted was to manage my depression and rampant anxiety, but the meds either didn't work or the side effects weren't worth it. You can take your big house and shove it up your ass. You can take your big car and fill it up with gas. I got snacks for seven days. Let's hit the open road. You said you want to play. Come on, let's go. Everything came to a head one Wednesday, my therapy day, when I finally fell apart in the most appropriate place I could have. My therapist gave me a choice to go to a 72-hour voluntary inpatient facility or to go to my psychiatrist's office for immediate assistance. Instead, I drove home. Me? Go to a psych ward voluntarily? But what would my kids think? And what if it ever got used against me? I knew things like this got turned around all the time, and that all I wanted to do was listen to the people I was paying a lot of money to help me. And the only way I could think of to tell you about all of these problems, all the things I went through to try and get better, all the cool people I met who helped me feel a little less messy, was to make a podcast for you about it. Welcome to Off the Fucking Rails. Off the beaten train. Off the fucking rails. Off the beaten train. Come on, let's go. Welcome, 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 and thank you for joining me for another episode of Off the Fucking Rails with Kim Griffin. I am, as always, for better or worse, Kim Griffin, and I am joined today by my dear friend of many, many years, Elizabeth Elkins Newcomer, also known as Liz Elkins Newcomer. Liz, thank you so much for joining me. Thank you for having me, Kim. <laughs> and we should note that I am um, welcoming Liz again. We recorded an interview with her in, I think, August before we found a house, before we moved, before I really knew anything that I was doing. And unfortunately, that recording was corrupted and eaten by the gods of the internet. So Liz has been generous enough to share more of her time. Thank you so much. It means the world to me. Um, I'm very excited for this conversation. Why don't we just take a second so that you can tell the audience in your own words who you are and what you do? Sure. So um, I, I, I struggle with that. That I... <laughs> I'm constantly seeking who am I? That's why I'm into the Enneagram. Um, I do a lot of different things. I am an Enneagram coach. I'm an educator. I teach um, drama. I also teach the Enneagram. And I create things. I'm an actor. I have a theater company. And right now I'm creating a lot of uh, merchandise with Enneagram. So t-shirts and hats and things like that. And, and really cute coffee mugs. And from what I've mugs. seen. Yes, yes. <laughs> Amazing. Yeah, I think um, that's something that I need to make more of an effort to do is allowing people to explain in their own words and also so that we can all see what it is for a known expert, a grown, dedicated, creative artist to struggle with owning those words. Mm -hmm. In between our first recording and this one, you reached out to us and wanted to change some of the language on the imaging that we're creating for social media. You said you were moving into a space where you feel really excited to claim the word coach because mm -hmm. you're now an Enneagram coach. And that made me so 
excited and proud. And immediately within my soul, it created space for me to be braver and own more things. But I was hoping that maybe you could share a little bit about that with our audience, just because I think that is incredibly relatable. And the more transparent we are, the more we lift other women up and create space for them to spread their wings. I love it. Yeah, it's complicated. It's probably going to be messy if I try to explain it, but I think that's okay. Um, I think that I want to be able to define myself, but there's a lot of different, in terms of my identity, there's, there's a lot of things that resonate with me and I don't always know how to package it in a way that other people can understand and make it kind of clear and make it succinct. And I've really avoided the word coach for a long time. I never, um, I, w- I played volleyball as in high school, but like, I, but I wasn't into sports. I was always into, I was always into being a student and being an actor. And so words like director and teacher kind of resonated with me more. And then what I realized is, so I was like, oh, am I a guide? Am I like, I also don't want to tell other people what to do. I don't, that's not who I am. That's not kind of how I, I have a gentle approach. Like I want, I want to, I want to inspire. I want to motivate. And then I was like, you know, I think I'm just not owning my authority, which I know one of, one of your questions has to do with our sun signs and I'm born in the week of authority. And finally, I'm like, you know what? I, I just need to own that that I coach in a lot of different ways, right? I coach, I side coach my improv students. I coach my acting students on stage. Now I actually have clients who I coach using the Enneagram, using the thought model and using a lot of other practices. And so I was like, people understand the word coach and I think it can encapsulate a lot of the different things that I do. And if it changes next week, then I can change it next week. I think that I just did touchdown arms in case you're not watching some silly video we share at some point. Like that to me is the thing. If I change my mind, that's okay. I think for me, a huge component of my like journey to accepting my adulthood or my grown upness mm-hmm. has been coming to the realization that editing your dream, amending your goals, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. having the courage to be the type of human being that can say, you know what? I got that wrong and I'm going to adjust where I'm headed. I'm going to be bold enough to share. I don't want to move toward that anymore or that no longer encapsulates what I'm up to. That has been excruciating for me. It has caused yes. so much shame and and it, it, it led to a place where I didn't want to strike out or try anything because I would think like, well, what mm-hmm, if I try mm-hmm. and I start and I don't like it? <laughs> Mm-hmm, <laughs> and three mm-hmm. years later, I don't want to be doing whatever it is, you know, all the many, many made up careers I've created in my brain for myself. For me, uh, the big crucial reflection was to, to actually start listening to the people I trust and care about. Mm-hmm. And when I decided to accept their compliments, support, feedback, genuine input that they had about what I was able to do, what my strengths were it really helped me to kind of go, no, actually, these are things I do know a lot about. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I'm, mm-hmm. I'm not an economist. Um, I'm not a therapist, but I have been in therapy longer than a lot of other people. And I can identify some things. You know, uh, you and I, I think also as actors working with other actors, sometimes I run into, well, who am I to tell them how to do anything? Right. My IMDB is not sexy. No one's ever seen <laughs> me on network television. And that's all 
that's all good and well, those, those markers that the world views as crucial, but what it really means, what's really necessary is owning your own knowledge. Right. And Mm -hmm. so what I hear is that you're in a place where you are stepping into actual confidence with these skills that you've been working on for years. I love that. I think one, being an actor and knowing that that's what you wanted to do for so long, both of us, right? That was a really clear, it's like, this is what I love. This is what I'm passionate about. This is what I've trained at. And still there was shame involved because we know people have perceptions of actors. And so like, if what have I seen you in? If I haven't seen you in, then you're not an actor. Especially or, about little blonde actresses. <laughs> yes, yes. So it's like, there was that, like, we knew who we were, we knew what we wanted, but then we couldn't totally own that. And and then then finding what else do I love? What else am I good at? What else am I passionate about? And I think that it was about, for me, about taking responsibility and ownership, feeling like I can be figuring it, I can be in the process of figuring it out because that's what everybody's doing. Everybody's just figuring it out and they're just in you know, nobody's there yet. No. Um, no. You know and that- if they act like they're there yet, it's just because they're owning that they're in the process of figuring it out, right? Right. Or or they're faking it because they're afraid, right? Yes. And we, we see both and, and either yes. way. Um, but also, I would like to say that, like, for me, it's been really interesting because I come across as a, a very confident and put together and capable and functional person. <laughs> Yes, and I have yes. been functioning at a very high rate, but I have not felt confident. I have not, you know, like mm-hmm. even in the moments when other people perceived me as confident or whatever it was, strong, set in her ways, there was always a roiling insecurity and second guessing underneath. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. But it reminds me of that quote, you know, Glennon Melton's quote, you can be messy, complicated and afraid show up anyway. Yes. I have yes. that actually on my, it's not behind me anymore. It used to be behind me on my desk for two years. It was on my wall. And last summer- It's by my desk ah! at, uh, in my office. <laughs> it's cool. just, it's so <laughs> crucial, right? Because for me, I, 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 when I mess up, I quit. It's very easy mm-hmm. for me to quit uh, historically. Mm-hmm. So I do want to acknowledge that I'm very proud of myself for having the confidence to tell you that we lost your interview mm-hmm. and to ask for more of your time and to, to, to just reflect that back to other people. You know, I know that other people, even you, you, after our first interview were like, Oh my God, I can't believe you're doing this during a pandemic. How? And I got mm-hmm. back to you and I was like, I don't know. And it's a mess, <laughs> but we, but we keep going. And I want, I want people to know that this process has been challenging, but it's also introducing me to new ways to think about myself and to push through things that are uncomfortable, but also I think that's the difference between, I hope our generation and some other generations is that when we meet adversity, we rise to it and we meet it. Yes, yes. Let's jump into the question, shall we? You mentioned already, you know, our first question, your astrological profile, what is your sun sign? What is your moon sign? What is your rising sign? And does any of this mean anything to you? It does. And so my sun sign, I'm a Leo. Um, My moon is in Gemini and my rising sign is Capricorn. I had forgotten since last time we talked. Yeah, that (laughs) rising Capricorn. It's such a cool, like strong, organized energy. It really Mm -hmm. explains things about you that I wouldn't have known Mm -hmm. earlier in life, you know, but Mm -hmm. because you do have that evocative to me, 
which I should let you talk about it, but I get a beautiful rush of Leo warmth and glow from you. And that is like a wonderful part of you. But what do these things mean to you? And, and when did you start learning about them? And how do they help, if anything? They, I, I was really into them in, um, when I first went to NYU, my best friend, Simone introduced me to, to my signs. And, um, I always knew that I was a Leo and I loved being a Leo. I loved lions and the sun and, um, warmth, fire, all the, all the things that you're saying, the creativity, the passion, but the confidence piece actually wasn't something that, that necessarily resonated with me. And the, Capricorn rising, I think once I started, uh, I think it was around my Saturn returns when I turned 28, I got a, a astrological reading and then I got another one when I was turning 30. And those readings helped me understand a little bit more. And it's when I, I, and I've listened back to those readings and everything, it's like performer, teacher, all the words that I was starting to say at the beginning of this podcast they are kind of reflected in my astrological signs and people perceive me as the Capricorn more than the Leo. I think they, they see me as put together. They see me as, and then we'll get into my Enneagram type, but there's an image that I create that, that is put together, right. That has it all. Like, I don't want people to see the mess. That's, this is that the mess is my new word right now. So it'll probably come up. I'm like, Ooh, gotta get, (laughs) gotta show people the mess. Mm -hmm. Um, that's what's real. And so those are, and then the moon and Gemini, um, my son is a Gemini now. And so that's a really sweet connection because he's also showing me different aspects about the communication, um, music, you know, just the waters of, of the, of the Gemini, which is fun. So it's, it's fun. It's, it's just more of self-knowledge. Um, so I use it in a lot of different ways, a lot of fun ways. Awesome. Would you be willing to answer any of the following? A, what is your FICO credit score? B, what do you pay for your rent or mortgage? Where is that? And how much space does that afford you? Or C, how much debt do you currently carry? I can do all of them. Um, uh, 724 credit score. We pay 3500 on our mortgage and mm-hmm. we've got about $230,000 left to go on our mortgage. I live in New Orleans, Louisiana, and um, we have, I don't know, 2,400 square feet, maybe. Yeah. And then the debt, I've got about 40000 in um, in debt. So some is education and some is um, credit card, like taking out, you know, loans and stuff. Yeah. Awesome. Thank you for being so transparent. So Liz and I met in 2006 in San Diego. She was in graduate school at UCSD and I was in graduate school at the Old Globe. Um, Liz was actually in the same class as a person that I used to be involved with that I was engaged to that we talked about in the episode with Amy. And um, 
was also, she was basically, you were basically my best friend in grad school. <laughs> I mean, like that's, you were the person that I went to yoga class with. We would go to the farmer's market. We drank wine and sang loudly <laughs> and saw plays and went out to fancy dinners and dressed. God, we dressed well. Do you remember dress? I mean, you still dress really well. I'm like a homeless person because I don't ever leave. That's also an inconsiderate thing to say and not a good way to put it. But that is how Liz and I met. Uh, mm -hmm. And then we both moved to New York and then we both left New York. Mm -hmm. So in terms of the questions, how has shifting your focus from living in Manhattan, coming back to New Orleans, what has that been like for you? And do you find that there is a disconnect between the way we view other parts of the world based on where we've, where we've been, where we've lived, what we're willing to view as acceptable? Mm, great question. I think that New York was so important for me and and the things that I love about New York is just the the melting pot, the diversity, mm -hmm. the the diversity of perspectives and the t the kinds of people. I just love that. I love being in the subway with and really feeling the connection. You know, I I waited tables a lot, so I would be mm -hmm. coming home sometimes at you know, one in the morning. And, um, and it was just like, Oh, who are, who are my people on the 1am train? Like <laughs> the, the, the connection connection is a big word for me. And so, um, I felt that really intensely in New York. I operate on a slower pace. And so New Orleans matches that better for me. And, and I have more confidence here because I'm not comparing myself as much to other people and, and feeling like I'm coming up short or lacking, but, mm -hmm. um, New Orleans is very segregated and, mm -hmm. and, um, there is diversity and there is, it's, it's one of those really like, it's a conundrum here. There's, there's beautiful things. And then there's things that are awful here. There's mm -hmm. decay. And it, there's this one book called decadence and decay. And it's about like New Orleans homes. But I think that that really encapsulates what New Orleans is like. I, I love aspects of being here. And I think what I struggle with is just seeing um, some of the problems and not knowing New Orleans is also a place that, that loves its traditions and is slow to change. So mm -hmm. even though I like a slower pace, I like fast change. Yeah. I like transformation. Yeah. And I wish that there were some things that would transform more quickly here. Mm, I really, really hear that. Finish the following sentence for us, if you would. Liz earned her membership to the Survivors Club by way of... Losing my brother and losing my best friend. Yes, real true loss. And I know that you just had an, an anniversary of um, Simone, your friend. And I love mm -hmm. so much... It, you know, I only bring this up because we've been talking about sharing the mess. I only met Simone a couple of times and she was certainly a force. Like she was a righteous <laughs> fucking powerhouse of a woman. But it has been really instructive and helpful for me to participate in the elements of your grief that you've shared. I think that you've done it in a way that really honors Simone rather than highlighting the pain. Like I, I, mm -hmm. I, I see your pain, but what I've seen uh, is just a real lifting up of her life. And I think mm. that your relationship to grief, I think the fact that you incorporate it is really what I'm moving toward, what I'm trying to learn to live and what I hope for our society, because we can't bisect or bifurcate that. That doesn't mm -hmm. 
we can pretend it's not there, but that's just another level of pretending. Yeah. So thank you for sharing that with us. Thank you. Thank you for saying that. And it takes us right into what's your relationship to mental health? Mental health is not something I, my, my parents, when I was growing up, they had gone to couples counseling at one point and, and that was awesome for them. And it was great for me because, um, my mom learned a bunch of tools, both my parents, that when I first moved to New York is when I first fell into a depression. Mm -hmm. And my dad was the one who gave me the drama of the gifted child and, mm -hmm. um, uh, and a couple of other great, great books that I first was able to, yeah, it that, that was weird because losing my brother at 14, I didn't feel depressed. That wasn't my yeah. experience. It was grief, but it, it, it was never depression. And so I, I, I found that more when I was in, um, you know, in my, 20s. So therapy was something that for a while, it was like, oh, you only go to therapy if something's wrong with you. And then mm -hmm. you get fixed and then you stop going to therapy. And that's what some of my family members even said to me when I told them, you actually brought me to my first therapist was um, after my first year at UCSD. Yes. <laughs> and what I, I was struggling with. Therapists. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I'm like, oh, right. Of course. <laughs> I was struggling with perfectionist tendencies and, and just the self berating nature that I would, you know, just those patterns. Um, and, and I was like, no, it's, it's not that something's wrong with me. It's just like, this isn't working. And I want, I want this to work differently. I want this to serve me better than my patterns are currently serving me. And so I just have a lot of compassion for mental health. And I think that there are a lot of different ways to address issues. And I think that I want everybody to find what works for them, what combination of all the things works for them, because there's a lot that pulls on us here in, in today's society. And, and we, we all need a lot of support. 100%. Um, you are currently spending your days teaching, and you teach middle school, yes, students? Sixth, sixth through 12th grade. Sixth mm -hmm. through 12th, okay, through high school. Mm -hmm. So mm -hmm. how is this teaching during a pandemic, during a uh, race uprising, during a hotly contested election, uh, moving into the holiday season, coming out of their fall play? How mm -hmm. do, do you feel like their mental health is... And, and what, if, uh, if at all, do you feel your responsibility is as an arts educator to um, provide outlets or resources for them? I think they are dealing with a lot of things. And some t I think they're doing a lot better now that we're in school. And, and we've been doing great at my particular school. Um, the COVID numbers have been very, very low. Yeah. Um, you know, we do masks and temperature check and six feet distance. And um, so we've been in school since August. Mm -hmm. um, I think they love being with each other. I think that that has been much better for their mental health than when they were isolated. I, I what what my responsibility is, I think, is really being present with them, like mm -hmm. seeing them and treating them with respect and treating them like like they're important. And I think that the the mind, heart, and body connection is what I try to give them, whether it's you know, a, a meditation practice or mindfulness practice or create, you know, sometimes they really just want to play games and they love it. And like, 
they're they're laughing and we were just playing sharks and minnows on the football field right before I came here and like they were connecting and it was just I think about it from like mind heart and body do they need creativity do they need um do they need focus do they need to get physical and and I just try to read them and then give them what they need I'm really glad that I have my class because I know that it's a different place where they're not just in front of their computers and and they Mm -hmm. get to um they get to just be which is which is important crucial it's so (laughs) crucial at that age group especially well thank you for sharing with uh, us about that. I think there are so many things going on in the country. It's really nice to check in with individual places. That's just wonderful. And I'm grateful for you. All right. So let's dive into the Enneagram. Mm-hmm. Liz, what <laughs> the fuck is the Enneagram? What do we do with it? What do we use it for? Why'd you get into it? Help. What is it? <laughs> it's, it's, it's complex and it's simple at the same time. It is a tool a personality tool. So Enya means nine in Greek and Graham means a figure that's drawn and it's a nine pointed star. And on each point is a personality type and each personality type, it's the way they look at the world, the way they view the world. And it's what their limiting beliefs are, their thoughts. It's what their go-to emotions are, and it's what their behavior or their actions are. It's those patterns that are formed in childhood when they're trying to navigate how to survive and thrive in the world. Oh, mom likes this. I'll do more of this. Dad doesn't like this. I won't do that again, and I'll do this instead because this gets me what I want. And then those things become our autopilot patterns and our tunnel vision and our way of doing things. So it does work for us until it doesn't anymore. (laughs) But then it points to where we get to transform and be liberated. So it also holds the key to our true essential self that isn't in a personality box. Okay, great. (laughs) And so you were the person that first spoke with me about the Enneagram. I think probably when we were living in New York, I think is when we talked about it. I'm not sure if that's when you got into Mm -hmm. it. Um, Mm -hmm. And now it's such a thing and it's so Mm -hmm. around. When I started working um, or kind of thinking about it was actually my therapist was like, do you know your Enneagram? Because she finds it to be a really useful tool and she incorporates Mm -hmm. it into our work with the EMDR and we talk about the moon and we talk about, Mm -hmm. it's all happening. (laughs) But something that was really interesting to me was like, where did the Enneagram come from? How long has it been around? And I brought it up to a friend and she was like, oh, the Enneagram is a really like culty Christian thing. And I was like, I don't think that that's true. I have to consult. You're my oracle. So talk to us Mm -hmm. about the origins and, you know, also like in a world where I just spent two weeks watching Nexium cult documentaries. Oh, me too. I'm very, um, I'm very aware that these tools have a lot of the language has been co-opted and manipulated by some super sketchy individuals. And uh, I personally would include the church in that. So I just want to be real mindful of Mm -hmm. where did we, where did this come from? And and what is your idea for healthy frameworks for utilizing the Enneagram maybe? Okay. Love it. Love all of these questions. So the Enneagram has ancient origins. I believe that all spiritual paths have pretty much the same kind of things that they're trying to work out. And the Enneagram, the thing that the Enneagram has in common with Judaism and Kabbalism and Christianity and Hinduism and um, Islam and um, is 
what keeps us from having an enlightened experience? What mm-hmm. blocks us? How do how are we responsible from not feeling connected to the universe? How are we respond like what do we do? What do we put in in our in front of our own path that is responsible for forgetting that we're all spiritual beings? Mm-hmm. That's exactly kind of what I, the world in which I imagined you'd answer. And I think it's really important. I mean, I, I say the same thing, for example, when I teach Grotowski, it's mm-hmm. a very, very rigid physical theater methodology and he was Polish and it was mm-hmm. okay. Fuck that. It's also yoga. It's also the same as these other things that you've done. You will, yes, feel like maybe you're doing capoeira or, mm-hmm. you know, like Fitzmaurice breathing exercises because all of these things breathe into and, and steal from these major ideas. And a lot of these, uh, exactly as you're saying, like we're all just trying to get into our right alignment with the universe, God, our purpose, whatever terminology you're comfortable with. And the biggest thing getting in our way is ourselves, right? And our preconceived ideas, Mm -hmm. the scripts and lies we tell ourselves based on where we were brought up or whatever toxic bullshit. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So you're exactly right. It draws from all of those things, but it it isn't owned by what it is what I hear you saying a specific right. yeah. And there were certain teachers, and this is I have read this the history so many times, and I was terrible at history in school, and so I always forget. But it was like Gurdjieff in the 20s was, um, like he was studying the path of change, like like from disintegration to integration and stress versus growth. Like what happens when we go, you know, what does the path of change look like? And then in the sixties, it kind of went, was in California um, with all the, you know, psychology and 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 drugs and fucking everything. Yeah. Yes. And so that's how it kind of came into the, in the sixties and the seventies came into America and then, you know, very smart people who attach different like defense mechanism that that goes uh, with each type. Um, Mm -hmm. The reason why it's associated with Christianity is because the, is it the Jesuits? Um, There was a priest who got into it and then brought it into, I think it's the Jesuits. But, and so there is a Christian, I mean, because they have similar roots, but it's not based in Christianity. It just yeah. can apply. It, it is, it's not based in any, you know, it's just spiritual, yeah. but it's not based in any religion. What drew you into it and how has it been helpful for you? Well, talking about those self-perfection, that, that self-berating tendencies that I would have, the being really hard on myself, I didn't have a ton of compassion for myself. What drew me into it, my mom invited me to this workshop um, and I flew down to New Orleans to take the workshop and I thought I was one type. It didn't quite fit. And then I read about the type that I currently am. And my immediate experience was as if I was looking at a mirror reflection of myself by reading this. And I finally had compassion for myself. Mm-hmm. And I was like, oh, that's why you are the way you are. That's Mm. why you do what you do. And like, I I just wanted to give myself a hug and forgive myself for all the things that I didn't know that I was doing that were harmful to myself. And and now I could change them. Like now I knew what they were and they weren't me. They were just my patterns. So I had distance between who I am at my 
essential, authentic core Mm -hmm. and just the patterns that I play out. And so then I can change those patterns to be more in alignment with my true self. So that's how I use it. I love Mm -hmm. that. Can you talk to us about the types? Mm -hmm. Please. I know that you can, or I wouldn't put you on the spot. I know you can just be like, I've seen you do it. Yes. Okay. So I'm going to talk about them in their triads because I I like that. So I'm going to start with a two because I'm going to start with the, the heart triad. The heart types are seeking love and connection and they are moving away or managing grief and sadness that comes from disconnection. And they do it in three different ways. So the type two is a giver. They focus their attention on meeting other people's needs and helping and um, advising, being cheerleaders for, but they are blind to their own needs. They can be martyrs and feel rejected. Okay. A type three seeks love and connection. They are the performer. By being successful, by achieving tasks, they are, if America was a, a type, it would probably be a three, right? They, the achievement of the American dream, right? Mm. But what they're blind to is, is their own limits. And so they can push themselves beyond their limits because they're doing, doing, doing. They forget that they are loved for who they are, not what they do. They think that they're loved for what they do. The type four the dreamer, that's my type. And I seek love and connection by being special, by being unique. So they're often artists and they often want to have their own spin on things. And they, they focus on the ideal and, and what is missing, right? They want that ideal, but then they, they, the juice is in the longing of Mm. what's missing from the present. Yes, that just, (laughs) the juice is in the longing. My husband's a four. (laughs) That's, that's it. I love that way of putting it. Okay, keep going. Sorry. Yes. So what they, what they, their blind spot is to the present moment and being grateful for all of what is here now. The head types are seeking security and safety and they are managing fear that comes from not feeling safe and secure in three different ways. The five is the observer. And the way they get security and safety is through knowledge and through maintaining their boundaries. So if I know what, you know, like, so they're, they're thoughtful and they're, they sit back and they observe things like Sherlock Holmes would have been a five, right? That's mm-hmm. why he could see everything. Cause he, he got the whole picture. Mm-hmm. Um, But what they are blind to is abundance because they feel energy is something like time, energy, space that they set really clear boundaries around and they don't realize that those are just made up, right, constructs. Mm -hmm. Um, And so abundance is kind of what their blind spot is. A type six is called the questioner and they are the, they can be the most hard to pinpoint because there's two different types of six mm. and there's a phobic six and a counter phobic six. And what that means is both of them, they can be a, the most fearful and anxious uh, type of all Enneagram types and they have this relationship with authority. So phobic is going to fall in line with authority and counterphobic is going to butt up against authority. But both of them have this like 
perception of of authority and they scan the world for what could ha- what could go wrong and what do I need to do to prepare for what could go wrong and their blind spot is sort of what could go right <laughs> like they can be so um, you know their attention is on on the negative <laughs> mm-hmm. and um and sometimes you know sometimes nothing's wrong uh seven doesn't look like a fear-based type because they're the adventurer. They're almost fearless. Um, they Life is, you know, glass half full. I want to try all the things in life. They're really fun. But what they, their blind spot is they actually, they don't like to be limited, but they limit themselves by only staying up in the positive, you know? Mm-hmm. And you can't know full joy if you don't know full sorrow. Wow. The body types, so they're seeking autonomy and worth and what they're managing is anger the anger that comes from not you know being the one in charge oh man this is already (laughs) just so much to swallow we're getting into it guys okay okay you're gonna learn some more about me type eight (laughs) type eight is the challenger and they want power and control, and they are the most assertive and physical, lots of energy, and they want to protect the the weak and vulnerable, and they, they're the ones in charge of their own life. What they are blind to is the appropriate use of their power, so they can overpower people. Being receptive and like leaning back in their chair is... <laughs> A good thing sometimes. Nine is the peacemaker and they manage their anger. They don't seem angry at all, but their anger is like a stubbornness. It's a resistance. Um, they want to keep the peace. They want to be comfortable. They are good mediators. Um, they go along to get along, but they are lazy to their own priorities. So, and so you'll ask them to do something and they can get like a rock. Like they're very stubborn if they don't want to do it. Yeah, it's just interesting to see how all the anger and, and fear and sadness gets, um, looks in the different types. And mm-hmm. lastly is the one, the improver. And they're focused on right and wrong, making the world a better place. And they've got these strong internal standards. They know exactly how something should be. So they can be, they're the should master of the Enneagram. And they can have a really intense inner critic. And then they can also, that inner critic can get, you know, on onto other people. But sometimes it's in this passive aggression because their anger, it's not good or right to be angry. So it kind of comes outside ways and what they're blind to is that like it's not black or white it might just be gray it might just be different so that's a little overview love it oh my god so much to think about well it's I mean and it still is to me and I'm like you I think possibly to a detriment for me that more information is great (laughs) like the more I can know (laughs) about something the better It's, it's really interesting hearing you go through it again and being reminded that I'm actually a body type because I identify mm. and have, you know, in, in so many ways been encouraged to be by society and the way and the privilege in which I grew up a head type, mm. you know, to be smart, to be, you know, mm. and I really, I spent some time, you know, Amy was my 
a therapist, uh, different Amy, interestingly enough, I now have an Amy <laughs> therapist as well. We kind of really struggled with it. And actually when I was in New Orleans last October, I got to meet up with Liz. We got to have dinner and too many glasses of wine. Um, if you're me and, um, <laughs> sit and chat. And it was actually really great because my dad was there and he's just the definition of a non-believer. Uh, and so to jump into a conversation about the Enneagram with him, I thought it would be kind of, uh, awkward or, uh, uncomfortable, but he actually was really receptive and, uh, kind of seemed curious. We had a nice conversation. It was interesting to kind of get, get your input and also to kind of sort through, cause for me, it was like, well, am I maybe a one or a nine or a two because of all my codependent stuff that Amy mm -hmm. and I have been working on. Um, and when I looked at them, I was like, no, I'm a five. Like, <laughs> I'm a five. But then she was finally like, I, I think you're an eight. I think you're the challenger, but just because my sense of justice and also for me, and I, I will say, you know, something that's very uh, important to me and is kind of one of the reasons or something that uh, I'm mindful of in making this podcast is wanting to reframe the ways in which we as artists talk about ourselves, value ourselves, and the way we value our training and education. Mm -hmm. Because I mm -hmm. do not think that if I had pursued some of the other, even schools that I was looking at, uh, but certainly, you know, if I had gone right into law school, or if I had decided to pursue becoming a therapist, I would not have had the six years of voice training and movement mm -hmm. training and Alexander technique training, you know, and, and to talk about them completely unrelated to performing, those classes were where I learned to sit down, to listen mm -hmm. while someone else is talking, mm -hmm. to take in really uncomfortable feedback, maybe about how I was coming across mm -hmm. or what, you know, and, and I don't know if I would have learned to stop interrupting people if I had not been forced mm. to by my voice and speech team. I'm, I'm completely mm -hmm. honest. And, and there are ways in which <laughs> a lot of those trainings have been, have created challenges or whatever. But I do think that a lot of the arts training that we received, I wish more people had access to things like that, because I do think that even if you don't become, you know, a star or a lead performer or even a, a teacher, there are myriad ways in which just learning how to sit and hold your space and be with your own feelings while someone is saying something that you completely disagree with that makes you feel like you're set on fire, mm -hmm. whether it's about mm -hmm. them misunderstanding mm -hmm. you or any of those things, mm -hmm. that is a crucial learning. And I don't know where I would have gotten that. I really don't. Yeah. I you know it's, it's training on how to be a human being. <laughs> it's mm -hmm. really like how to relate and how to tell stories and how to how to be aware of what's going on inside you. Um, and yeah. so in the Enneagram, there's there's this movement from reactivity, which is when we're on autopilot, mm -hmm. right, which was when we're in our Enneagram type and our our type is running us and we don't know it to going to um, responding. And so having that awareness, being able to create, to, to, to have a pause or have mm -hmm. space before we react. So we get to choose how we respond. And there's uh, my favorite quote on that is from Viktor Frankl who wrote Man's Search for Meaning. And he said, between stimulus and response, there is a space. In that space 
lies our power to choose our response, basically. And then that is our, our freedom. It's just that we have the, the, the power to choose our response. And then that's where our freedom comes from, is yeah. how we, so it's not on, not reacting but responding from mm-hmm. an empowered, responsible place. And so definitely acting training helps you do that because you have to be aware of your initial reaction and then enough to pay attention to it to then decide, let me give, let me take a breath. Let me feel the discomfort and the, you know, the sensations in my body, the emotions that are coming up for me. Yeah. So as a, as an eight, that you learning how to how to moderate your energy. Mm-hmm. I can totally see how that's helpful. Yes. It's helpful for all types in different ways. Can you, I'm still very confused about the wings and what they mean and what it means when you go to another number. What is what? What is that about? Okay. How does it work? Yes. Yeah, so there are these lines and um, there's the outer circle. The wings are really easy to explain those are the numbers on either side of you. So you can have both wings, but you probably favor one more than another. And they really just influence how your type looks. So as a, I'm a four with a three wing, which is the performer. So that I look a little more outgoing. I'm very comfortable performing. I'm very comfortable in front of people. If I was a four with a five wing, I might be more introverted. Mm -hmm. If I was a four with the observer, I, I, but the way that observer comes up to me is when I have imposter syndrome. Mm -hmm. I think that I need to get more certifications. I can't call myself a coach. Mm -hmm. I mean, that's so it's, it's how those numbers influence your particular type. Okay. Okay. So that's, that's your wings. Okay. Your Enneagram type is based on your motivation. Mm -hmm. What drives you, why you do what you do. Okay. And that's never going to really change. You're always going to have those, those core motivations. When you go to another type in terms of your, your resource points, which are the lines that look like the star, Mm-hmm. You can go to the high and low sides of those resource points. Mm-hmm. Your stress type, which is the, the arrow that points that you're pointing towards, that is your stress type. And I like to think about this from an animal perspective, that when an animal is under stress, it means that they need to take action or they need to decide whether to fight, flight, or fl- you know freeze. So our stress means something different to us now because we have so... we've you know, it's, it's taken on a whole new meaning. Yeah. Yeah. Yes. Thank you for acknowledging that. Very true. So your stress type can either be like when you need to take action or it can be like when you've got too much going on and you Mm. might look like your stress type. So you eight, your stress type is five. So your energy, your up outward energy, when you're stressed, you might need to freeze Mm-hmm. or 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 fly away from other people and yes. like and just maintain your boundaries time space and energy right <laughs> yes i'm just yes that is the most true thing about me that you could say mhm Yes. So you're not looking for safety and security like a five, but you're taking on those energies. So they're really resource points. They are okay. there to get you back to your whole center right? Um, But you're not, you don't become a five. You just take on their behavior almost. Okay. Okay, cool. That makes more sense. Okay. And I, and then the, the other line 
So there's that stress type. The other light line is your relaxation or your exhaustion point. Okay. So this Mm -hmm. is your point of growth. Mm -hmm. Okay. So eight to two, where you go to grow is when it's about other people and taking care of other people. And so that's where you can, but it's also when you're exhausted like if you're, because you're a mom, you, you're you in your two mode, right? That's the actions that you're doing. So then you're going to flip really back into that five yep. <laughs> because you don't live in the two. The two generates a lot of energy from that place. It's good for you to grow, but you can't live there or else mm-hmm. you're just going to immediately go to the back to the five to recoup. That is that the truth. Yes, because yeah, I mean... As an eight, where my jam is independence and autonomy, mm-hmm, to mm-hmm, not mm-hmm. only have decided to get married, which is mm-hmm. taking another person into your like energy field. And mm-hmm. I had no idea. Just that is the most wonderful security. And it can also be the greatest challenge to have somebody else's energy constantly mm-hmm. factoring into your space, your time, your mm-hmm. life. And then to have two children who both have special needs. And now to be at home with them all the time, I just hit these points where Mm -hmm. I'm like, I have to, I have to go into the room and like, no one can speak to me. Mm -hmm. I have Mm -hmm. to recuperate because I just, Mm -hmm. when I am with them, I'm 100% present. And when we're, when it's either like you're saying stress or it's going really well. And we're like in that love place, like even that is depleting for me to some Mm -hmm. degree. And Mm -hmm. I need just to kind of balance back out, you know, Um, whether that's you know, like my little mental health sojourns that I take where I go a few days away from my family every couple Mm -hmm. months and stay Mm -hmm. like in Mm -hmm. a hotel and just don't talk to anybody. But Mm -hmm. it, cause it really does, it builds up in me to a point that's like, I'm going to explode. It feels so physically and mentally uncomfortable. So that's really helpful to remember. And, uh, definitely, it it definitely, um, resonates with my patterns and, and is how I function (laughs) as an eight. Yeah. And I think that, you know, I think that Sometimes I don't know how life works. I don't know why we're given the, the the relationships that we're given. But when I look at the eights in my life, they are given a lot to take care of, like a lot of people to take care of, a lot of weight to carry, a lot of, um, you know, Simone was an eight. And because they're so strong, they can do it. But, and and they do do it. I mean, they... But they also, what they need is to not do it all the time, like, and to, and to get help and where they grow is sort of like the innocence of not having to be strong all the time, like being able to be vulnerable. So I see like when, when, when they take on so much, right. And they're really good at it, but then I'm like, Ooh, that little vulnerable heart, like that, that needs some taking care of. (laughs) Well, and that's just been, it's been such a lesson for me to learn. And then there's the journey of, and I think this is true for a lot of people, most types of people probably, but I have really had to learn how to ask for help. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And that was one step. And then I had to learn how to accept help. Mm -hmm. Now I'm in the place where I'm learning, you know, like I'll go to therapy and I'll go through my whole spiel of why I was, and I'm upset and she'll go, well, you said what you needed, but then you didn't take it. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. <sighs> right. You know, um, and that's, that's hard to, you, you know, also like as a, as a mother, how dare I want time and space for my mm-hmm. children? What's wrong mm-hmm. with me? If mm-hmm. I, you know, I read, I actually saw the other day, <laughs> I flagged it in my um, 
Instagram feed an, an ad for a new podcast and a woman talking about not liking being a parent, loving her children, mm-hmm. but not liking being a parent. And I was like, mm-hmm. I want to listen to that conversation because that creates <laughs> space for all the truths, you know, like, yeah, but it's, it's, um, it's just so deeply challenging to really get vulnerable with yourself and, and to actually look at the Enneagram. And I loved so much that you, that you were able in your moment of seeing your true type to have self-compassion. I think that's, Mm -hmm. that's something I'm really working on. And it's helpful to know that it's not, that doesn't come second nature for everybody. That's not how we are default made. You know, it's actually Mm -hmm. not how most people raised by the generation that raised us were raised. Um, It's a very, a huge break from walk it off, put a butterfly bandaid on it. You'll be fine. Suck it up. (laughs) You know? Yeah, our our definition that we use about like spirituality in the Enneagram world where I was trained is increasing our capacity to be receptive. As in you can't have a spiritual experience unless you're in a place of receptivity. Yeah. And so our types are how we go, go, go out in the world and get what we need and what we want. But then we've got the 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 journey and the lessons is that being able to to receive and and each type has their own thing that they need to receive and eight is innocence um and looking at the world with just you know when you think of a baby and you think of um just that ability to to look at something without a power dynamic without a control right just with the curiosity and eights can be so enthusiastic about things just like children right and they're like mm-hmm. Woo! like I love this and uh, it's mm-hmm. really sweet because they that's when their strong tough exterior is like softens and <laughs> so I love that definition of spirituality and so you said receptivity it reminded me yeah. of that yeah thank you I want you to be able to talk about what you're up to in um, New Orleans starting a theater company. We didn't really spend any time speaking about that last time. And I don't know if you feel like it's important. Do you want to chat about that a little bit? Yeah, sure. You know, it's all a part of it, right? It's like, yeah. I love the Enneagram for its, um, as a personality tool, as a way for us to have more compassion for ourselves and each other. And I also like it to so that we can get to doing the work that we're meant to do in this world, right? To to yes. fulfill our purpose. Yes, amen to that. So it's God. not just in and to itself. Like I don't it's not just so that I'm like, "Ooh, I'm feeling so good about myself." Like I want it to make my relationships better. I want it to make me take action towards my dreams. Um mm-hmm. and I've got a lot of dreams. So I, I have a theater company that my husband and I started with our friend Yana in New Orleans, and it's called Crescent City Stage. It's just so exciting to me. I think, you know, just to like clarify, because we didn't use all the bullshit uh, descriptor words at the top. Liz mm-hmm. has a full-time fucking job teaching. She coaches as an Enneagram consultant. She runs a theater company. She's married. She's a working actress when she gets to be and is fortunate to be. And she's parenting two children under the age of, how old's your oldest? Four? Four. Fuck. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> 
Okay. All right. That brought out my whole crazy <laughs> laugh. But um, so this is a woman who is, yeah, when we talk about Capricorn energy, getting things done, <laughs> clarity of purpose, and a lot of dreams, that's all very true. But I think it's it's phenomenal that you and your husband, who's also an actor, you're in an, an uh, actor-artist marriage as well. Mm-hmm. You moved back to this place and you wanted to participate. How has that been for you? And what led you guys to decide to create this company? New Orleans has struggled with having a theater company because it is a Mardi Gras town. And mm-hmm. and that's a real thing. Like people, that is, that's kind of going back to the traditions. That's where people get their entertainment. That's where they spend tens of thousands of dollars on a year. People who might in another city go to the theater, like they spend that money with Mardi Gras. Um, And so I think that that's part of the reason. And it's also a music town, right? Mm -hmm. And so those are... Those are some of the priorities in the city. And so they've never known. Um, we have a couple of theater theaters here, but they 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 struggle a lot. Mm-hmm. They struggle to get support. They struggle to get funding. Um, if you're a member of the union, Actors Equity, a lot of times they can't use you. I just mm-hmm. heard last week one of the, you know, the executive director of, of one of the theater companies said like, oh, if Liz wasn't union, we would use her. And that was my experience. My husband is, is a member of uh, the union too. We're proud members of Actors' Equity. He's a, a member of, of the, he's a council member. And we believe that artists should be treated as the professionals that we are, right? Yes. <laughs> we Full should stop. have health care. We should have you know, access to, we should have pension and job protection um, and yes. help if we get injured and access yes. to HR. And yes, 100%. I'm also a union member. FYI. <laughs> yes. So we're creating that. That's what we want. We want a professional theater company mm-hmm. that treats our artists and pays our artists the, the way they should be valued. Mm-hmm. Um, and we want to kind of trailblaze that here in the South. And we want to do really good quality work that I don't even think that some of these people in New Orleans know exists. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so it's, yeah. So that's what we're going to do. I love that. I think that's so <laughs> thrilling. And I'm grateful and excited for New Orleans. We will obviously post about it in our um, link tree on the Instagram and put it into your episode notes. But I'm just so excited for this fucking pandemic to shuffle off to Buffalo so you can get to work. Um, (laughs) Let's go into rage, rage, fucking rage. This is our call to action where we ask guests to share actions, activists, causes, issues, or campaigns that deserve our attention and support. Liz, what have you been feeling rage about lately and where can you direct our attention? What's a great call to action that we can drive our listeners toward? You caught me there, Lieutenant. Mm-hmm. See, I, I, I think right now, uh, Black Lives Matter is, yeah. is where my attention is. As mm-hmm. a white woman, as someone who grew up in the South where I was not allowed, or not allowed, but I learned that to, to be colorblind, yeah. right? And yeah. to be, to not talk about um, racism and, and all the ways that I 
have been responsible for keeping racism in place. That's what I care about right now. Mm -hmm. I'm in the process of doing a lot of education myself in Mm -hmm. terms of reading, but it's also like it's happening in my, in my work as I'm working with young students. Um, And I see what they're trying to figure out. Like, I think that that diversity, equity, and inclusion, social emotional learning, those are, so I don't, I don't have a, a specific, you know, there's a lot of different people who are doing the work yeah. um, that uh, Ibram X. Kendi, you know, my, mm-hmm. my two-year-old reads um, anti-racist baby and he can Good. say like the whole thing. So yeah. I, that's, that's just what I care about and that's what I'm passionate about. Um, mm-hmm. And I, I'm not the one doing the work. I'm learning about the work. You could also go deep and go fucking follow uh, hood herbalism and brown issues and unapologetically street and, you know, people who are really into the reclamation work for our indigenous populations as well. Mm -hmm. And kind Mm -hmm. of just really opening yourself up to what I hear you doing is what I'm trying to do. Open myself Mm -hmm. up to the ways that I've kept myself blind, that I've allowed Mm -hmm. myself to be distracted from the pain mm-hmm. of my not white brothers and sisters mm-hmm. in this country and also like to continue to consistently show up and vote and educate and participate mm-hmm. in the democratic process. And I think you're right. We are not the ones to teach. There are amazing, too many amazing black voices that have been ignored for too long. I think it's really important for us to acknowledge the problem that we pose to all of this work just by being white women. You and I had a conversation a a little over a year ago about being an activist. And I think that because I do tend to have a gentle approach and like, I'm not going to run you over with my perspective. Actually, I have that ability and I usually don't like myself when I go to that place of that. That's when I go to one, that righteousness of like, oh, I'm right and you're wrong. And that means that you're not as good as me. I can definitely go to that place and it feels like not good. For me, it's about, I, I'm reading a book called The Person You Mean to Be. And she talks about how some people can um, make changes by by bringing light and some by be, bringing fire. And mm. I think that I am, a I, I do it by bringing light. And so I don't need that to bring the, so yeah. Amazing because literally my, all the like healing sessions and work that I've been doing have been about me, like resisting my fire and my voice and mm-hmm. my rage mm-hmm. and people being like, no, you have to stop doing that. That is literally mm-hmm. your purpose and yes. your strength. So I just, I just clicked with that because I think it's really important to acknowledge. And I think you are total fire and I am. And so when you said, why are you not? I said, I'm not an activist. You emailed, you know, we were, this is through Instagram and you're like, or yeah. And you're like, why are you not an activist? And then I realized that it's like, no, I I can do it through light. And, and, Mm -hmm. and so I can do it and I don't have to do it by posting like a snarky, you know whatever, but I can do it through education Mm -hmm. and I can do it through the messages that, that I believe in that like, you really can't argue with, Mm -hmm. you know what I mean? Mm -hmm. About decency, human decency and, um, respect. And you can't really argue with those things. And those are the things that I do feel passionate about. I'm so grateful for my guest today, the wonderful Miss Liz Elkins Newcomer. Thank you so much for sharing your time and your expertise with us, Liz. 
Thank you for having me, Kim. It was delightful. <laughs> if you would not mind, um, where do you like to hang out on the internet? Where should listeners look you up and find you? And can you quickly spell out your name just so they can seek you? It will all be in the link tree, easy and accessible for them. But just to give that extra bit in case somebody needs to track you down immediately. Absolutely. I have uh, my own website, my name, and I'll spell that in a second, Instagram, and I'm trying to get into TikTok and occasionally on Facebook as well. So Liz, L-I-Z, Elkins, E-L-K-I-N-S, newcomer, just like it sounds, N-E-W-C-O-M-E-R. And then I also do some things on at the art of the Enneagram on Instagram, which is really just about the Enneagram types, if you're interested in that. And my theater company is at Crescent City Stage and crescentcitystage.com. Great. Thank you so much. I hope that you Learning will um, the Enneagram keep pushing yourself and- to uh, explore, you know, all of the different ways that habit creep in and can run our own lives. Um, once again, thank you so much, Liz. I love you to death and I'm so grateful for your time. I want to thank you for joining us for another episode of Off the Fucking Reels with Kim Griffin. Our podcast is associate produced by Jared Alexander, Allison Beauregard, and Markia Nicole Smith. We're edited by the fabulous folks over at Pingcroft Loft, who we fucking adore. Our rad-ass theme song was created and written by Julie O. Crockett and is performed by her and her band, The Evangenitals. You can fall in love with all of our collaborators by visiting our webpage or the link tree in our Instagram handle. If you have questions, ideas, or topics that you'd like to hear about, please reach out to us. You can email us at otfr.assistant at gmail.com or leave us a voice note on Anchor. You listen to enough podcasts, so you know that reviews help. If you have a few minutes, work us into your nightly gratitude practice and give us some love. Reviews are great, but teaching somebody else how this podcast has made an impact on your life man, that can make all the difference in helping somebody else feel less alone. So that's even better. Making this podcast is fun as hell and there's a lot more I'd like to accomplish. But since awesome shit that makes the world a better place isn't free, we have launched a Patreon. Please patronize us. More information about all of us and all of this can be found at thekimgriffin.com forward slash off the fucking rails. You can follow us on Instagram at otfrpod. Or send us money via Patreon, also at OTFRPod. Thanks for showing up for the conversation. See you next time. Off the beaten train.